Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Do you want to start a podcast but you don't know how? I didn't either. But let me tell you, if you ever heard about Anchor... That's the best way to make a podcast. When I try, I must admit, I was a little bit skeptical at first, you know. But then, then I heard, when I heard it was free, I didn't think it would be this good, okay? Let me tell you. It's so good. Because there's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You don't even need to deal with the headache of thinking about how to publish on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, because Anchor will do that for you. They use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so many more. If you can, if you want to make a living from your podcast, when there is no minimum listenership required, so this is the place. So if you want to start and make a living of a podcast, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. You can download the free Android app or on your Android or Apple phone, or you can go to anchor.fm to get started. Use Anchor for the, for your to make your podcast experience the ultimate podcast experience. Oh, hello. Can you hear me? Testing one, two. Oh yeah, testing. Yeah, I can, I can hear you perfectly. So um, I think we started recording, and uh, yeah, welcome to that age well. With my name is Alan, and today I'm with Santi. And uh, I was thinking you should start with beginning to talk a little bit about yourself and what you do. Uh, well, I'm a Western actor here in Tucson, Arizona. And I also do some living history, and I happen to have also started a YouTube channel named Arizona Ghostwriters, which is centered around teaching people not only about the history of the Old West, but also about how we do reenacting, how we do living history, how you can do it out there, what kind of things you can make for yourself or purchase for yourself, uh, and, and how you can be the best possible Old West persona that you can be. So, and uh, I'm just curious, what what are you interested in the Wild West? I mean, apart from all the action and everything, like, what what got you in, interested in doing this for a living? And um, yeah, 
Well, when I was a kid, probably like so many others, when I was a kid, I was raised uh, watching Western movies and television shows on Saturday mornings and afternoons. And uh, it was just a, a real moment that I got a chance to bond with my father because he liked him too. So um, it became sort of a, a ritual for us and that we would just mm -hmm. watch Western movies. And I got really excited about the period of, of time and the, the typical hero that we all see. And, uh, you know, I think pretty much every kid who watched Westerns wanted to be that guy, that Glenn Ford character, or the John Wayne character, and maybe even the Clint Eastwood character. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, when did you realize that YouTube was a good platform to get, uh, get your information out to the world and uh, start spreading your knowledge of the West? <laughs> you know, I didn't even know if YouTube was good. I just wanted to make movies, and and uh, I thought that would be a good way to sort of get it started. And uh, YouTube was coming. Actually, it started, what, in 2016? YouTube was pretty popular by then. Mm -hmm. It's exploded since then. But uh, I thought, yeah, let's start here, see what happens. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll just quit. Yeah. something different. And for those who don't know, Santi is... Uh host of Arizona Ghost Riders on YouTube. They talk about everything from the Wild West. They reviewed Red Dead Redemption 2. And they do several reviews from movies. They do talk about what was daily life like in the Wild West. And it's really interesting if you want to go in depth and in detail with the Wild West, if you're as interested as I am in the Wild West. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I want to start with from the very beginning of the Wild West. And... The year is 1865, the Civil War has just ended, and we get the rise of the Wild West. So talk a little bit about the beginning of the Wild West, how it all started to be the famous West right. that we know. Right, so basically you're talking about what we would, we would term Westward expansion. Westward expansion actually started before the Civil War, but typically we all sort of associate the 1965 into the Civil War with the Old West period, even though the West had already been somewhat settled by that point by some people, right? You had the 1848, um, the strike at Sutter's Mill, which brought people from all over the world to go find gold in California. Um, and you had people that were starting to settle little areas and in boom towns and things like that in the mm -hmm. West. Texas, which was considered and still is considered very much the Old West, uh, was but already Texas yeah. was a part of Mexico back then, right? It was a part of Mexican in the 1840s. Yeah, in the 1840s, it was. I think it was divided up, but yeah, it was mostly. Yeah, it was. It was mostly Mexican in, in inhabitants there. And you mentioned boomtowns. Let's talk about the rise of the American boomtowns when they, the American Western civilization started to rise. And people started moving westwards. Right. So so the Civil War ends. And uh, those of you who have researched uh, the American Civil War, you'd find out that it pretty much left the, the east coast of America devastated. I mean, just destroyed. Uh, there was hundreds of thousands of families that were, were disjointed and destroyed. And uh, farms, people, people came out of especially if you lived in the South, you pretty much had nothing. You, they, 
the union was going to take your land. Uh, uh, they probably burned your crops. It's, it was a horrible situation. So people thought, well, let's just move west to more opportunity and get away from all this. Um, that's kind of that's kind of how that big push started, I think, was the end of that war. And uh, what, what was daily life like in a boom town from what you see in the movies? What's, how accurate is, is the portrayal and what, is, what was it really like in a boom town? Was it as exciting as the movies made it look like? Um, tell not, us a little bit about it. I'm not sure it was as exciting as the movies made it seem like. So first of all, a boom town is a mining town, right? It's a town that sprouts up around somebody found gold or somebody found silver yeah. or somebody found copper. And all of a sudden now you've got people coming in from all over the world to try to make it rich, try to start a, a, a new life. Um, you've got business opportunities, right? So now you got yeah. people coming in. Uh, they're, they're saying, hey, look, I just heard about this new strike out in California and um, I'm going to sell my farm. I'm going to buy a wagon and I'm going to get my butt out there and I'm going to make a restaurant or I'm going to make a hotel, you know, something like that. And of course, those were huge business opportunities because when you get out there, you find out that what's happening is you've got all these miners or prospectors um, that have these little claims all over the place. And these claims are not very big. I think they're about maybe a hundred square feet, give or take. And um I'm sorry, I don't know how to equate that into into meters. That's fine, that's fine. 300 meters, that'd be right? I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm, honestly, I don't know. I'm okay, not really familiar. Right. But it's, it's fine. Don't worry about it. But anyway, yeah, so you got you got these little places. You, you've got people out there basically living under the stars and tents. Uh, some of them would go so far as to build a cabin or a shack of some sort. Um, so a welcome... But welcome, welcoming the big business was huge, right? Oh my gosh, I found yeah. a restaurant. Oh my gosh, I don't have to eat my own cooking anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, women over there in that building? Oh boy, let's go. Mm, yeah. yeah, you know. So um, yeah, the boom towns would sprout up, and it was huge business. Daily yeah. life was probably very much um, somebody. You know, you had to work to get that gold out of the ground or the silver, and at the end of the day, you were probably exhausted. So I would imagine that the whole idea of everybody going to town and getting drunk was probably not um, that much of an occurrence for those poor miners. They were probably yeah. wiped out by the end of the day. So, and let's talk about the term cowboy, because most people prob probably assume cowboy like more of an outlaw role than it really was. And what was the task of cowboy like? Like it was probably more normal, normal farming rather than. Just being an exciting killing criminals, taking them out, just being a lawman and something like that, right? Right. So um, let's see if I understand your question. Um, so one of the other things I was going to mention is when you say the word exciting earlier, you said you yeah. know as exciting as we see in the movies. Yeah. There yeah. gunfights every day. No, I I don't think there were gunfights every day, but I think what you had is you had people who were if. If I have if I have a small little claim and you're next to me and I strike it rich, guess what? You're going to know about it, and you might be jealous and you might want to try to come get my gold. So therefore, I have to be armed. And you would have a lot of people that, just like we have today, that uh, well, you know what? I don't want to work for a living. I'm going to go steal that guy's gold. Yeah. So a lot of that was going on. And if you if you look in California specifically, and in Tombstone, and probably Montana, you're going to find a lot of people that got into to altercations with gunfire um, 
to protect their claim. And it was acceptable because yeah. you were defending your stuff. And there weren't that many lawmen. You're right. There was not that many um, law uh, lawmen walking around, you know, uh, back then. It was pretty much everybody was a community of people and they protected each other. Yeah. So tell me what it was like, what was the daily role of the lawman in a, in a boom town like, let's say, Arizona or Deadwood, or those kind of famous towns. What was the daily role for a sheriff like in those days? <laughs> so I've read a lot of uh, accounts of marshals and sheriffs. Um, I think for the most part, it was probably pretty pretty unexciting. First of all, there weren't that many people, not as many people as we have in a town today. I mean, look at how many sheriffs and deputies you have running around today on police support. Yeah. Uh, back then it was maybe three or four guys. Um, and I'm going to guess it was for the most part, pretty boring. They were locking up drunk people, um, occasional gunfight here and there. Uh, they had to um, collect taxes from certain people. I assume that wasn't a popular job. What's that? That was probably not a very popular job to do. They didn't get paid that well, from what I understand. Um, I was looking at some of it, and they got paid pretty much the same wage as a cowboy in some of these small towns. So you had to supplement your income. You could do it with getting bounties. You could do it with uh, uh, doing licenses and things like that, you know, justice of the peace, marrying people, I guess, would be a way you could do it. And you could collect taxes. And I'm sure you probably had your hand in some criminal activities too mm. as a lawman. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but with the start of the boom town, the railway had to be made. And what was the, like, well, tell us a little bit about the expansion of the American railway in, back in the Wild West. That was the big kicker. That was the big thing that changed everything. And it happened in what, 1868. Was that what it was? Um, sorry, I'm not exact. Yeah, it's fine. I don't know the year, but the Transcontinental Railroad met in, um, in in Utah, and basically, once that happened, you had all these people making spurs, all these railroaders making spurs to their towns, and that changed everything. I mean, first of all, you could get packages from the East Coast in less than a week, yeah. whereas it took you so long, much longer. So it really did change the change the whole world, but it changed the West and and how we settled it and how successful it was. And with the, with the expansion of the railway, coal was a much needed uh, product. And what was what's it like for a coal miner and the life of a coal miner who had to bring a coal to the train for the train to move? You know, the, um, the coal was mostly done in the Midwest and the East Coast. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I can tell you that coal miners had a really rough job uh, there's a thing out here that a lot of coal miners suffered from called black lung. I don't know if you've heard of that, but yeah. it was a, it was a killer. So basically when coal is powdered, when it is, you know, um, ex when it is chopped up, it creates a dust and that dust can, uh, coat your lungs and eventually it will kill you. Um, and I think that a lot of coal miners knew that their day was coming, <laughs> but yeah. Um, there was a lot of coal in the East. There still is a lot of coal being dug up out there in the East Coast and, and in the South as well, I understand. Um, maybe Missouri, Mississippi, Kentucky, that area. I think there's a lot of coal. Mm. But didn't Obama try to shut down recent coal mines and Trump claimed to try to 
bring him back again, but back in when Obama was president, didn't he try, if you're talking recent years, that he tried to sh- shut down coal mines? I think he did. I think they're very dangerous. Um, however, coal mines, mining is is big for those regions, and it was a big moneymaker. So if you close down a coal mine, yeah, you're you're putting a lot of people out of jobs. Maybe that might be why Trump decided to try to keep them open. Hmm. Okay, uh, that, I think that makes us come, come to part two about American outlaws. And we're going to open with uh, Jesse James. And he's probably one of the most famous outlaws. And we're going to start a little bit about the end of Civil War, go back, back in time again to the Civil War, because he was a Civil War veteran. He came home to the South. And uh, he wasn't there. The South was not treated very, very well after the Civil War. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a the Union at that time, which was at that point now basically the military, the U.S. military, and the government was was seizing lands and seizing farms and things like that. And uh, they didn't have a good outlook on on the South, especially not people like Jesse James, because Jesse James and his brother Frank and the Youngers, all those guys were were Civil War guerrillas. They were not fighting for uh, they were fighting for the Confederacy, but they weren't they weren't recognized as a military unit. They were they were rogues, you know. They they got mm-hmm. they went out and did pretty horrible things to make a point. And um, so the the government definitely didn't didn't like them very much. If I remember my research correctly, Jesse did go to into the guerrilla warfare to support his family. Is that correct? Uh, the, he didn't or did? I'm sorry. He did. He did, he did go, go into support his family and because they were very poor at the time and they, he had to find a way to support his family, his mother, his father. I, I don't remember. I believe. If I remember you're, correctly. You're probably right. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you that I believe his brother Frank was already in. And and if Frank said, "Hey, guess what? We're we're doing this stuff. We're 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 sometimes getting some more money, and we're sending stuff back home. We're sending money and supplies back home." Yeah, I'm sure that that was probably a very attractive offer to those four those poor people in the South. Mm-hmm. And what, what, when did he start to realize that? Oh, maybe crime is the way. Maybe I should tie to more crime. The criminal life. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seemed pretty easy at the time. Um, <clears throat> first of all, Jesse James was was classified as the very first bank robber in America. Mm-hmm. You know, just the whole gang, not just Jesse James, but the whole gang was. And um, I think that at that time, America didn't know what the heck was going on. And here you get these guys coming in and robbing a bank and taking the money and never showing up again. You know, I, I think that was probably yeah. a pretty freaky thing back then. You know? But that, during the first robbery, if I remember correctly, he thought he recognized someone that killed someone that he knew. And he shot that person down because he thought he knew, recognized someone from the past. Is that correct? I believe it is. You know, I, I can't, I'm trying to remember. I think that he... The 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 idea that we have of Jesse James being this Robin Hood type character is not necessarily true. Jesse was Jesse was probably he was probably a bit of a psychopath, you know. And I think that mm. he didn't have any um 
I don't think that, that anything would stop him from just shooting a person down, except maybe Frank, his brother. <clears throat> I would imagine Frank would have probably stopped him from doing a lot of horrible things. Hmm. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this rise of to fame and how did it become as well known as it did back in those days? Do you know, you got books, you got movies, you got several <clears throat> sources that he was more of a hero to the South rather than an outlaw. Well, I think that I think that what happened is people in the South in Missouri, where where he where he was basically from, I think they kind of liked the idea of Jesse James, and you know. If you look at his family tree, there was a lot of people on it. I mean, a lot of people down there knew each other. And they probably thought, oh, boy, there goes Jesse sticking it to the union. Good boy, you know. And uh, we really we really like him for that. I don't think that it was a situation where he came back with bags of money and threw them at people. I think he kept a majority of the money. But I do think that he, he spread the wealth a little bit. He was well-liked. And um, just people recognized him because he was, you know, he went by this alias of George Howard. I don't know if you're aware of that. <clears throat> Not really, no. Yeah, he went by this area, this, this alias of George Howard. And he, and in some towns, he was known as a, as a gentleman. Um, but people back in his hometown just knew him as good old Jesse James. And I think he just was well-liked in general. And he started rubbing he didn't rob just banks, he robbed a lot of trains as well. And it came to the point where the trains were so protected at one time that the trains didn't have carry cash anymore. And when that when that happened, he had to lay low. So he lay low for a few years is in Mexico, isn't that correct? Yeah. So right. In in, in a lot of situations, uh train robbery was was becoming pretty popular. In, in part, thanks to Jesse James, it really started with the Reno brothers prior to Jesse James. But um, um, I think that what happened is they were having a hard time trying to protect the gold in the money on trains. And uh, Jesse James was one of those people that would wait and see which train was the right train to rob. <laughs> the one the one that they yeah. were. Yeah, that's the thing. He was he was so popular in the South, as far as maybe George Howard, but he knew things. He had information. He had insider information. So he wouldn't rob the train that had a bunch of soldiers on it. He would rob the next train. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of people, the Daltons uh, did that too. The Daltons tried to do that, but the Daltons kind of goofed up. They didn't, they didn't succeed very well, but that was a thing that people tried to do is, is learn the timetables, get their ear to the grindstone as it were. You know, yeah. Let's talk about the fall of Jesse James and how how did it come to come to an end? His because it's a kind of tragic story. The end of Jesse yeah. James. Did you see the movie um, that came out about a decade ago with Brad Pitt playing Jesse James? I think it was called. Unfortunately, no. <clears throat> you should see that because it takes place after the Northfield raid, which basically decimated his gang, and. He starts off with him basically getting ready to rob a train and he's starting his new gang, as it were. He's got his brother and he's got some cousins in there and some young whippersnappers, um, some green people. And uh, I think at that point, when you watch this movie, let me see what I get. I think it's called The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. I think that's the name of the 
Oh, I heard. Oh, yeah, I heard. Of Getting that a chance to see yeah. it, I would watch it. It's not a. It's it's a good movie. It's a very big historic piece, and and it really does give you a feel of the era, and it gives you a feel of what Jesse James might have been like. You know, he was a little off kilter. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think that that he should have stopped after the Northfield raid. He should have just given it up and quit because mm-hmm. at that point he was, um, like I said, his gang was decimated. All the good people were gone. He had some new people that were fresh and young and they didn't really know what was going on. He had to teach them everything. And uh, one of them ended up shooting him in the back of the head. So, yeah. And let's talk about that man because that man was Bob right. Ford and he would be forever known before they associated with Jesse James. And how did it end up in the Jesse James gang in the first place? Um, you know, I'm 100% sure. I think he was somehow related. Um, I think he might have been a cousin. I'll have to look that up and see. I can't remember. But Robert Ford was, if he wasn't a cousin, then he was friends of a cousin. But it was one of those yeah. things where they were all, like I said, it, it, when you get down into the South there, those people were all, supporters and they were i'm gonna guess that every kid wanted to be in jesse james's gang you know because mm-hmm. it meant that they could feed their families you know yeah but he had a pretty high price on his head and the pinkertons an american law agency tried to go after him but it didn't end well for his mother and his was it his brother or his younger, younger brother. brother yeah 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 who was killed and then his mom was his mom was disfigured. I think her arm be amputated. Yeah. So um, I'm just looking real quick here to see. No worries. Um, trying to see if 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 Robert Ford was actually of any relation to him. I don't think he was. Yeah. No, he just admired Jesse James for his criminal exploits. Yeah. So, yeah. They had back to the Pinkerton on the chase. Did they they ended up giving up eventually or did they just hope that someone would would you know eventually? Yeah, so get right. What what ended up happening is the Pinkerton after that fiasco, when the Pinkertons basically destroyed the farm and they it was a huge mistake on their part, because Jesse wasn't even there. And um I mean, all it did was create a worse situation. So the Pinkertons basically backed out, from what I understand. So then it just made Jesse James more popular right. and famous than mm-hmm. he already was. Yeah, right. And he just became more exactly. of a hero. Became more of a hero, and I'm sure it tore him up. But now he wanted to do more damage to the North because of that. Um, yeah. And so what ended up happening is I think Robert Ford threw some... Uh, I think Robert Ford basically turned tail and um, talked to some congressman or senator or or some lawman that basically said, you know, you need to take care of this situation and you'll be handsomely provided for. And so that's why he killed Jesse James. I think they figured Mm. we can't do it by sheer force because it's just not going to work. And how did it kill Jesse James? Because it's kind of sad and covered his. Yeah, they were all having breakfast or something like that at the at the James homestead, which was not. I don't think it was in Missouri where he was shot. He was somewhere else. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, they all went into the sitting room. Robert Ford and his brother Charlie, 
and Jesse were in the sitting room, and I guess Mrs. James was in the kitchen cleaning dishes. And he said, I got to straighten this picture up here. It's crooked. And when he got up on the chair, Robert Ford produced a revolver and shot him in the back of the head. He didn't even have his revolver in his on on him, did he? He just put it aside to make it look less suspicious because there were right. people around. Yeah, and it was actually a gun, I believe. It was a gun that Jesse James had given to him. And he did. There were, and he didn't even get the money that he was promised. No, no, before, they didn't. Did he? No. Neither did Pat Garrett when he killed Billy the Kid. So for some reason. Yeah. These these people just didn't want to. <laughs> these lawmen or these these politicians didn't want to give up the money. They just wanted to get rid of the problem. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, this is from the book Jesse James Jr. wrote that is called Jesse James, my father, where he says he saw Robert Ford again, and he really? years later, where he saw Robert Ford again in the street walking with his mother, and he. His father, Robert Ford saw him and recognized him, and he asked for forgiveness. I don't remember how it goes, but I don't, I'm not sure if she forgave him. But she's—I think she said something that he's going to rot in hell for what he did. <laughs> his mother, his grandmother, just a gentleman. Right? Junior. Yeah, I would imagine that. Yeah, yeah. It apparently plagued poor Robert Ford for a long time. Not only um, because he. Uh, people people liked Jesse James and didn't like that he killed him. Uh, they didn't yeah. make him a hero. Um, and they don't. Did you think he would be a hero for killing Jesse James, or was it just the money that was? Tempting? I think it, I think it was probably a little bit of both. I think it was both. I think he wanted fame and fortune. He, ended up, he did get yeah. it in some way, but just not the way. I he think wanted. what I read, he was so afraid that Frank James was going to retaliate, kill him when he got out of prison, that he was always looking over mm. his shoulder. And uh, if I remember, I think he was killed in Colorado. He had his. He started a saloon, and um, he was killed, but it was not related to the Jesse James affair at all. I think he was shot exactly. with a shotgun, actually. But but he wasn't very well liked, and not just because of the Jesse James. Apparently, he was just not a good. He wasn't a very good person. I mean, he was a killer. Mm. But and years later, the, I think it was in Texas, or one one governor was asked to pardon Jesse James, not so long ago, and he didn't because he killed a policeman when he was in jail. Is that one, correct? One more time on that. Who killed? That there, there was a governor, I don't remember which state, that was asked to pardon Jesse James. Not not many years ago. And he didn't because Jesse killed a police officer when he was in jail for hmm, a short while. I actually while. don't know that. Is, that. is that in that book as well? I didn't know that. No, uh, I think it came on you. I think I found it on YouTube or a while ago. I don't remember exactly where, but I, if I find it, I will try to link it uh, down in yeah, the, the that'd be interesting. Yeah, put that down. It's... Yeah, yeah. I try. But another hero that's perhaps one of my favorite outlaws, and he'd been through everything from the American Railway to Hollywood. And I think you already know which one I'm talking about. Hmm. It's Wyatt Earp. And let's talk about Wyatt Earp for a while. And let's start about with his own life. What 
what Almer when how we ended up becoming an, uh, the famous outlaw that we know him okay. for. Um, well, he. So I think he was born in Iowa. Does it sound right? I think he was born in Iowa Probably. by a big family, and um, so what I've been able to determine, and I haven't done as much research on Wyatt Earp as the other thousands of reenactors that live out here in Arizona have. Um, but what I can tell you is that Wyatt Earp was an opportunist. And um, I'm not saying he was a bad person. I'm not saying he was a good person. But I think the the myth that the movies portray Wyatt Earp to be this somehow frontier hero. And that's in part because of the book that was written by him. One of the reasons Wyatt Earp is even famous in the Old West is because Stuart Lake wrote a book about him um, sort of a biography of his life, which was more of a dime novel. It was more of a fantastic false What's that? Larger than life. Much Larger than, than life. life kind of What's book. weird about it is that Wyatt Earp okayed it. <laughs> you know, he, he was like, yeah, that's good. Hmm. Write it, publish it. I'm like, really? But, uh, you know, that's that's why Wyatt... I don't think if it was for that book, we would, we would think of the OK Corral as anything more than just another gunfight in the Old West. Mm. But um, so Wyatt Earp and his brothers came to Tombstone. Uh, they were always looking for opportunity to become rich. And when they were in Dodge City, they were uh, pimps and they uh, they were arrested a couple. Well, Wyatt Earp was arrested for running a brothel. Uh, so mm -hmm. he he wasn't the angel. Everybody points him, paints him to be. Uh, he was he had some criminal activities that he was doing. As a matter of fact, uh, I believe all the Werp, Erp wives, when they got to Tombstone, I think they were all former prostitutes. Mm. I'm pretty sure. Because his was, Maddie Silks was a former prostitute. And so was Virgil's wife. She was a prostitute also. But there's Ken, was it... That would they came to start the life of a sheriff to become uh, because his brother Virgil were a sheriff and he added White Earp and his, as yeah. a deputy. So uh, so yeah, um, Virgil was the only one I believe of all of them that actually served as a lawman after the whole Tombstone Arizona thing. Virgil actually was in Southern California, I believe, and he, or maybe Northern California, I can't remember, but. Uh, he became a lawman, a lifetime lawman. He was a lawman in Prescott before he was Prescott, Arizona, before he came to Tombstone. Um, and he was in an altercation there with guns. So he was probably, of all the Earp brothers, he was probably the most lawful. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And Wyatt, I'm not saying that Wyatt was a bad guy, but I don't, I don't think any of them were all good. <laughs> you know, they weren't. Yeah. They weren't all John Wayne. No, exactly. But John Wayne took inspiration mm -hmm. from Wyatt Earp. Isn't that correct? When he met him in Hollywood, he took inspiration from his acting. He, he probably did. Wyatt. I would imagine that Wyatt Earp uh, was very good at publicizing himself. Because, like I said, he was an opportunist. Um, I also heard he was very, very soft-spoken. So I kind of think, did you ever see the movie Wyatt Earp with Kevin Costner? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, I saw it a while ago, Kevin yeah. Costner's character was probably more like Wyatt Earp than Kurt Russell, 
Kurt Russell's portrayal just because I think he was a very serious guy and he was he only spoke when spoken to. You know, he didn't just go out and talk all the time. He would probably never be able to do a podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the old Terrell and the start of the outlaw started outlaw life for, of White Earth. What was the old Terrell about and how did it That's a good come question. to be? People are going to be fighting about the answer to that for decades, maybe maybe hundreds of years. So essentially, the Earp brothers came to Tombstone. Um, I believe Virgil got a job as uh, town marshal, and Wyatt and the other brothers started a mine, um, and they also had some dealings with with uh, was it the Grand Palette, the Grand Hotel. Or the Crystal Pal, or the Oriental, one of those saloons. They were they had a a faro game going, just like in the movie Tombstone. So they were making money. the The Earp brothers were making money, and um, the Cowboys, which were not called the Cowboys back then, they were probably called the Clanton faction. Um, they were known wrestlers in the area. They they were proven to be wrestlers. They weren't good guys either. So you got, you know, the Earps who are sort of good guys, and then you have the Clantons and McLaurys, which were really not good guys at all. And the, the two of them, for whatever reason, they just uh, they just collided. And I think it was probably because Wyatt Earp tried to arrest him at one point, um, or Virgil Earp tried to arrest him at one point because they were wrestling uh, military donkeys, mules rather, mules. And they found a, the the branding iron they used to change the brands. It's all pretty fascinating, and I think all of that came to a head. And the the McClantons, uh, the Clantons and the McLaurys were probably like, I, I don't want to deal with these people anymore. Let's just kill them. Very mob like, you know. In the movie, I remember if I remember correctly, they it's because they refused to leave the guns, give the, give away the guns because guns were allowed allowed yeah, in the town. Uh, that, that wasn't the if reason. I, remember um, I think that it, it was all about all about the fact that they weren't the the head honchos anymore. You know, some people also point to the fact that there mm. was politics involved, Republicans versus Democrats. That's possible too, but it seems. Mm. I would say ten years ago, it wouldn't seem that it would go to guns, but as we can see nowadays, apparently people feel so strongly about political sides that they cause riots and stuff. So. I don't know. Yeah. And what's fascinating me about White Earp is that he's really been through everything. That he, been, well, he was in the bison hunt. He was building the American Railway. He lived through being a lawman. He was a sheriff. He was an outlaw. And he ended up in Hollywood. And that's really what's so fascinating right. about yeah. this character. Yeah, that... and he was a buffalo hunter. You're right. And, um, and he was a lawman a, a few times. Um, after, I believe after OK Corral. So what happened, if, if, if you want to tell you the story, after the OK Corral, um, they became um, a posse and they were, they were, uh, they went out to essentially use that law power that they had to kill off the the rest of the McClanton, God, I keep saying McClanton, the Clanton McClory crew you know the whole cowboy crew that was the whole idea but unfortunately exactly. they did it unlawfully um when they shot frank stillwell here in tucson they just shot him i mean 
wider up to shot him with a shotgun at the train station. Uh, and so therefore they became outlaws at that point. So they didn't last very long. They killed a couple more people and then they, they got the heck out of Arizona because they were wanted and they were never supposed to return. So all those guys, Doc Holliday, Warren Earp, his brother Warren did return. In fact, I don't know if he ever left, but he wasn't wanted because apparently he wasn't part of that whole thing. Uh, Warren Earp was killed mm-hmm. in Wilcox back in the 18, late 1880s. But anyway, so yes, they ended up outlaws in Arizona, but they weren't being chased across the, the whole old West. You know, I mean, uh, Wyatt was pretty famous at that point. You know, uh, Doc Holliday was dying in Colorado. Wyatt Earp was still trying to get gold. I think he went up to Alaska to get gold. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. They showed this in the end of the movie that he's with his wife towards Alaska and he's trying to... He's going... A man meets him and tells him about his uncle. And he's, he's right. on his way to Alaska, I think it is. Right, yeah, yeah. I think he... Uh, I think he was probably always chasing that dollar. Um... I don't know mm-hmm. if White Earp ended up a poor man or a rich man. I don't think he was rich, um, but I think he was always he was always looking for opportunity to make money, and uh, that's why he was always getting jobs as a bartender or running a. You know, he did a lot of uh, fight promoting too. Um, he was a big fight promoter, mm-hmm. big boxing promoter. So. Yeah, let's. When we talked about the buffalo hunt, let's talk about a little bit about the Native Americans and the treatments with the West of the Native Americans okay. during the Western expansion. Uh, if you're not, yeah, yeah, talk so a little bit about this. When Lewis and Clark first went out to the West, the there there was no real animosity. You know, they were they were working with the Indians essentially, but once I think we started taking their territory away from them. You know, that's when they started getting a little angry, <laughs> rightfully so. Understandable. Understandable. And, um, you know, they, they killed us and we killed them. And um, we put them on reservations, which, you know, quite frankly, was, was such an insult to them. And a lot of times uh, they were on the reservations with tribes that they had been warring with for years. You know, we were just like, oh, they're Indians. Put them on a reservation. They'll all get along. Well, they didn't like each other, a lot of them. A lot of these tribes didn't really get along that well. But they were forced to. You know, we, we gave them bad food. We stopped them from hunting. Yeah. We looked for opportunities to demean them. It was pretty horrible. Perhaps one of the most famous Native American heroes is Crazy Horse and versus General Chester. Can you talk a little bit about their feud, not feud, but war against Chester, and because Chester is portrayed as a hero, but I, but he's I wouldn't definitely say he really a hero. Is a hero. Uh, and, and I and think when... that that is a that is a recent finding um, in my lifetime. Uh, back when I was a kid, I used to think Custer was massacred and he was a good guy and all that. And then the truth comes out. You know, we 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 find out from these ancestors of the Indians and from books and how badly he treated people and um, how he was really just, he, he just really wanted to get fame and fortune. 
larger Another than life. Tried to be he was kind of kooky. Life. He was crazy. The day that Little Bighorn happened, he was so cocky that he had all of his men not carry their cavalry sabers, leave them all behind, uh, from what I understand. And not that that would have wow. helped them so much, but that was that was just sort of a that sort of tells a story of how bigger than life he thought he was, you know? So, yeah. Hmm. Let's talk about this, the first meeting versus crazy horse and the crazy horse tactic, because it was, was kind of an interesting tactic that crazy horse used versus the, the Americans. You know, that. I don't know much about the tactic that he used. Maybe, maybe you could expound on that. I mean, I think that oh, he just, yeah. my point if that I'm all not... the tribes just got together and, and wiped them out. So you tell me. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, no, no, never mind. If you, because from what I understood, the, the tactic that Crazy Horse used was that he rode the cross. He had a son, if I remember correctly. I might be wrong, so forgive me if I'm wrong about this. You are the expert on the West, not me. And, uh, he used his ride so they had to charge, recharge. He rode along the hill. And when, when they fired, they missed. And when they had to recharge, they came across the hill while they were recharging. Hmm. I, you know, I haven't done a lot of research on that battle, and <laughs> I plan to do some research on it. Um, so I, I'm not an expert in the Custer field, uh, unfortunately. Um, mm. I've read some things that have been poignant to my videos such as the kind of rifles they carried and um, the fact that not all the Indians did have rifles and some of the Indians had better rifles than, mm. than the cavalry had. The cavalry, cavalry all had single shot rifles and some of the Indians had repeating rifles. So, and it didn't matter mm. anyway, even if they all had single shot rifles, there was far too many native Americans and, um, I think part of the problem, too, is that Custer split his troops up. Um, he had Major Reno and he had some other people, and they were all in different areas of this campaign. And I think that's a problem. If they were all in one space, maybe they would have been able to to survive the day. But I don't know. Did you know that Custer lost pretty much all mm. of his family that day as well? His brothers, no, two or not, three of his not, brothers no. were also on that campaign and they all died. So it was, it was a complete mm. destruction of the Custer family. Mm. And the left with that, let's talk about the end of the West, 1899, which concludes, money concludes us the end of the West. And how did the end of the West come to be? Well, we talked about the railroad and railroad really brought a lot of people out West and really um, industrialized everything. So a lot of people will tell you that the end of the West was when they put barbed wire up and fences and essentially stopped all the free range. And that's part of it. But I think really what happened is you, you had so many people settling. And like I said, industry moved in. Um, you had a lot more law coming out West. People were taking it very seriously. The Indian situation was Pretty much they were all on the reservations. They weren't trying to kill everybody all the time. And we weren't trying to kill them all the time. So I think that was good. The outlaw was still going on 
all that outlaw stuff was still happening, but that was happening on the East coast of America too. There were bad guys on both sides. Um, but essentially you had progress. Progress was the main thing, you know, electricity, uh, all that, all that kind of, uh, finished the West. So for instance, a lot of people say to me, well, the S West ended in 1899, you know, cause Red Dead Redemption starts in 1899, right? Well, guess what? I yeah. live in Arizona. Arizona didn't become a state until 1912. Neither did New Mexico. So we consider that very much when it was a territory, it was very much still the Wild West. People were robbing trains out here. There were outlaws um, all over the place. People getting lynched, you know, in both states. It was a lot of outlawry. So it was very much the Wild West in these two territories up until about 1912. Mm-hmm. But it, it was the start of 1899 when the West was mm-hmm. dying mm-hmm. out. If you, if yeah, I get a lot of like questions that. from Red Dead Redemption people saying, well, the West was over in 1890. Well, no, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was not over. Mm. Mm. And uh, with that, we're coming to an end, but I just want to touch, touch a little bit more about do you have any book recommendations or source materials you can find about the West that yeah. you would recommend? Um, so there's a book that I reference a lot called, um, I think it's called Soiled Doves, Red Light Ladies, Whiskey, something like that. It's written by a, a journal, but written by a fellow named George Hand, H-A-N-D. And uh, it's a whole journal about mm. his life in Arizona Territory in Tucson in the 1870s. Um, it's not an exciting read, I'll tell you right now, but it tells you a lot about what different things that they did for entertainment, what was exciting for them, what it was like to live in a town like that back then. Um, another book is written by Martha Summerhays. Um, I, I'm forgetting the name of it, but she was the wife of a, of a military officer, and they moved out west, and it was all about her learning how to live out west after being in Boston for her whole life. Uh, and of course, I would always say the Laurel, mm-hmm. the Laura Ingalls book, you know, the, uh, oh, the little house in the prairie type stuff. Those are good books. The time life series has great pictures. If you ever find those books, they were made in mm-hmm. the seventies are still around. The time life series of the old West has incredible pictures. Mm-hmm. So I would uh, do that. Also, online, there's a place called Hathi Trust, H-A-T-H-I Trust. And that's got a lot of old documentation. Um, you know, if, if you're into the law, which I'm not, but if you're into the law, they have a lot of like legal documents there that you can <laughs> read about different laws of the territories. It's pretty fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's. Heavy. I imagine it's yeah. kind of heavy. I material. kind of scan through it since I'm not a lawyer. I just scan through it, but you find mm. things. You know, you you find things that are really interesting that they you wouldn't think would be legal back then. You know. So. Mm. And uh, of course, I have to ask, what is your favorite spaghetti wow. western movie? Um, I'm gonna say the good, the bad, the ugly. 
I'm actually going to say, for me, it's Once Upon a Time in the West mm-hmm. because my, my, the music is fantastic. And, uh, do you know, any, any of them in New York, uh, sorry if I don't, can't say that name right. It's, yeah. He just, and the acting is amazing. Yeah, that's a very and good story one. Is... And I, I, I like that one too. You know, that was actually filmed in America. I think that was the only one of Sergio Leone's that wasn't filmed mm. in, in Italy or in Spain. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure. Anyway, mm. um, yeah. You know, what's his name? Uh, Fonda, Henry Fonda. What a great bad guy he was, huh? I mean, he just had those cold eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's been a while since so, so I had to see it again. So, yeah. I, my uh, favorite Charles character may be Harmonica. Yeah, he was really good. And also, mm, yeah. there, were, there were just a lot of good actors in that one. So, yeah, that's a very good one. I think I like the good, the bad, the ugly, the best because the characters were a little bit more mm. whimsical. You know, um, Eli Wallach's character yeah. was was good comedy. You know, he brought a good comedic version and, and, and yeah. a little bit more light. The Once Upon a Time in the West is a heavy movie. It's heavy. It's dark. You know, when he kills the family at the beginning. No, spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah, that's brutal. That's that's, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> yeah. Do you it's like Lee Marvin? Not an easy movie to watch. Um, how not about, too familiar with the name, actually. Um, hmm. Well, Lee Marvin, it, it, write his name down and look him up. He's been in a lot of movies. He was in um, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Mm-hmm. You don't link me yeah. those uh, names afterwards yeah. after the podcast. And uh, finally, I just want to ask, do you have anything you want to promote? Anything you want to put out there? Oh, wow, geez, I wasn't expecting that, but thanks. Yeah, uh, you know, the YouTube channel, which thank you very much for watching. I appreciate that. And um, I've, the most fascinating thing that's that's occurred to me since starting the YouTube channel is people like yourself. I've, I've never known anybody from Norway before. And now I in Belgium and Norway and Sweden mm-hmm. and I find out all these people are reenacting the old west in their own yeah. way um, I think to me that's fascinating and I really yeah. uh, I really get excited about that and I'm really happy that people really like the old west not just in America but other countries um, so I'm going to try as I as, a, yeah. as best as I can to promote you guys doing your stuff as well how, where you do it oh. you know I appreciate it. Um, actually, I'm not. We're we still trying to find things out. We're just starting out, so we're still trying to find things out. Just me for now. So I'm just trying, still well, trying to find things out. I hope I can help as much as I how, can. How we're gonna do things? So if you ever have any questions, just ask me. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes, of course. But I think there's something captivating about the West, you know, that makes people so interesting. The way the teams wear the boom towns, the outlaws like just you know James what it White, is? Earth, building the kid, etc. Yeah, the what, what it is it, is it's the fact that some, yeah. you have these people that are so tenacious that they have to they have to start something um, that they want to be successful. They want to be successful. And they want to start a settlement. They want to start lives. They want to become mm. rich, whatever the case may be. And they're they're dealing with odds that are ridiculous. Um, almost every job in the old west was dangerous. Oh yeah. You know, you you asked me earlier about coal mining. Mining was dangerous. Being a cowboy was dangerous. Mm. 
being being a security guard on a train was dangerous. Working at a bank was dangerous. All of these jobs had danger, and these people did it every day. You know, they didn't sit in a cubicle like the most of us do here in America, just you know, waiting for the day to end. They, it was it was a tough living, and they did it. They did it, and they made a whole a region. And um, uh, that's, I think, a lot of what makes us like it. You know, and I believe every country has a certain old west. You guys do, of, mm. of course. May not be the old west, but I mean, if it wasn't for your your culture, yeah. we wouldn't have trade routes in. You know, so, mm. so, exactly, yeah. And it was especially for women. Women, it wasn't easy to be in the old west either. They had they had it particularly hard they with did. finding jobs. Yeah. with trying. They to did, find and if their husbands died, then they were on their own. That's uh, that's tough because it wasn't like, you know it was a man's world out there, and yeah, women have to prove themselves, and. um they all worked hard. They were tough people. You know, women of the West were tough. They had to be. Yeah. And sadly, men, men had to turn to prostitution for living. And uh, yeah, we should have done an entire podcast episode about just this part, I, I believe. But yeah, sadly, men and women had to turn into prostitution that's for correct. a living. Yeah. Like in those days, yeah. if they didn't and have that's a, else. Uh, basically... That's the kind of life where you're either hoping somebody like Virgil Herb will come and save you or you're hoping you're going to die quickly. You know, chances are unless you were a madam mm. and you ran a brothel, then then, yeah, you were probably not going to be doing real well. Sad. Yeah. yeah. But it is. It's not. A, but thank you very so much for being on the very first episode. Oh, and uh, I really appreciate you coming. And that concludes this episode. Oh. If you mind taking you it away, me? like you always, yeah, like you do in your Are you sure? well, No, if you don't, hey, I don't know. Listening. <laughs> and as always, we'll please see. like, share, and subscribe, <laughs> and we'll see you on down the trail. Have a good one. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.